0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. A bowl full of chips With Chappy and bum, Pip Mm -hmm. Two young brothers Talking college football And life and humor And some funny ass clips So relax and unwind With a bowl full of chips College football fans, welcome to a mini-cast of the Bowl Full of Chips. We say mini because we're excited. We are breaking down tomorrow's Week 0 football game. Two of them, four teams playing, representing the SEC, the ACC, the Pac-12, and even the Mountain West Conference. And, of course, there are some FCS-level games as well. But here in a Bowl Full of Chips, we like to stick to the FBS division. So, we have our Week 0 preview Not going to take too long. So if you're expecting our usual hour, hour and a half long banter between Bip and I, it ain't going to happen. We'll save us all the trouble. But um, Bip, it's like Christmas Eve today, man. I've got my notebook. I've got it set out. I've got my living room all uh, in order. I've got my snack set out for the game day crew in the morning. I can't wait to unwrap the day, buddy. How about you?
1: Yeah. And what a game we've been gift wrapped, uh, to experience Florida and Miami in week zero. And I kind of feel bad for the, uh, um, Hawaii and Arizona teams because, uh, you know, that's usually week zero. Everyone's real amped up to watch even, a. Uh, kind of a minor matchup between those two teams and then they they get um Florida and and uh Miami right before them but if nothing else it gets lots of people geared up and ready for that matchup i'm excited to see both my friend
0: i am too and i think most people in the Pac12 and the Mountain West feel bad for Arizona and Hawaii as it is so um, <laughs> but you know like you said it's football man it's i don't i don't care who it is it could be 2 o oh, and 11 teams my eyes are glued if that's the exactly. only game that's on and um, it's going to be a great evening tomorrow night. I know you're going to be watching it. I'll be watching it too. Uh, can't wait to share it. So we thank you for listening to a bowl full of chips, college football's fastest growing national podcast, what we do and what we take seriously is college football. And we give you deep football insight and analysis because at BFC, we like to bring football closer. If you don't already, please give Bip and I a follow on Twitter. I am at champion underscore lit
1: and I am at BFC Bip.
0: So share our handle with others, like our posts, reply with agreements or aggravations, retweet our goodness, and even direct message us with any questions or commentary, or even ideas for what we can do for you, the college football fan. We love what we do, but we also want to work for you. You can also visit our show's Twitter page on at bowl Full of chips, where we post our website for a growing number of resources and information, which includes our preseason rankings, players to watch, where we think every team is going to fall and, that's the beauty of kicking off the season tomorrow. We get to see what kind of geniuses or what kind of morons we end up being as the season unfolds. So find links to our previous podcasts as well and contact us at chips at gmail.com. So here we go, Bip. Week zero tomorrow. We start at 7 o'clock Eastern time on the ESPN Network. We have number eight Florida taking on the Miami Hurricanes in Orlando, Florida. College game day is going to be at Disney World right in front of Magic Kingdom. Um, everybody that we love is going to be there. I don't know about Corso. I don't think he's going to be there this year. So I don't know if they're going to mm. just go down to, um, Dez and Kirk and maybe David Pollock get some more air. Hopefully time. they bring
1: Pollock on. Yeah, I,
0: I hope so too. And uh, screw you, Big Kurt and Jeffrey the Greek. We love them and we're not going to apologize. So we love <laughs> you right. guys, but but screw you on your uh, your uh, hatred <laughs> Hate for towards 47. Pollock. Exactly. Yeah. We love you, DP. Um, so let's get right into it. Bip, talk to us about the Florida offense going up against the Miami defense. What do we see on each side of the ball for those two teams?
1: Well, this is going to be a, a major test for each quarterback. Uh, even Felipe Franks, who kind of had a, a coming out of uh, party of sorts last year, or, um, yeah, last year in their bowl game against Michigan. Uh, and even his overall stats were pretty good last year. But um, he kind of had times to where he even lost the fan base of of Florida. So um, I think more than anything this year, if he can find some consistency, um, that would go a long ways for him. And he's going to be tested against one of the best defenses he's going to face all year right out of the onset. So if he shines against this stingy Miami defense, I think uh, it's going to have folks in Gainesville excited about the thought of maybe even an SEC title this year. Mm-hmm. Um, so first and foremost, uh, him having a good game is going to be huge for the Gators, but that's going to be easier said than done with that group of linebackers that Miami has Trajan Bandy's not going to be easy to throw on. And that right. defensive line can obviously get after the quarterback. Um, I think, I think what's going to help him out a lot is even if he's flushed out of the pocket, he's got good mobility and he's got an unbelievable group of receivers. They're talented. They're deep they have speed and uh they also have a good mix of uh of size in there as well. So I think that that group of receivers is going to give Miami uh or could possibly give that Miami defense some fits um as it relates to uh Frank's finding them. Um and defensively- you know, just
0: just to just to touch on that, I I kind of have that in my notes. I think that Florida has more athletes at receiver than Miami does in their secondary. And Miami's a little bit young in the secondary as well, which mm-hmm. I know you'll touch on in a minute. But when you look at guys like Van Jefferson, Jeffrey Hammond, Travon Grimes, who I think is going to be one of those breakout players for the Gators this year. He was their third-leading receiver last year. He mm-hmm. could emerge himself into that number one spot or you know, an all-SEC-type uh, player, in a, a transfer from Ohio State. Then you got Tyree Cleveland, Kadarian Tony, Freddie Swain. I mean, they legitimately go about seven deep at receiver with a guy like uh, Felipe Franks throwing to them, I, I think that that's a, a huge advantage that uh, the Gators have in their arsenal. not saying that they're um, that much better than the floor, than the Miami secondary. We'll get to that in a minute. But certainly when you've got that cast of receivers to throw to, it's going to make you that much better or at least look that much better.
1: And I think because of Pinkney, Quarterman and McLeod, the Gators are going to need to rely upon that passing game because the middle of the field is probably going to be shut down pretty well uh, in regards to running the ball with those three uh, coming back for the Hurricanes, not to mention a pretty good defensive line returning for the um, for Miami. I'm interested to see what Trayvon Hill does. Um, He comes in from uh, Virginia Tech, had three and a half sacks in three games last year before being dismissed by the team. Um, and then we know that, uh, they also have a couple other transfers coming in as well does the, uh, Miami defense. So, um, I think it's, it's for the, for the hurricanes, it's all about those linebackers keeping that middle of the field clear and not allowing the running game to get going Felipe Franks included, and they really need him to, to, they need to force him to throw the ball down the field where guys like Trajan Bandy and Bubba Bolden will have their hands full with that talented and deep group of receivers from the Gators. But I think, um, forcing Franks to win the game for the Gators is that is their best bet in this. one. Yeah.
0: And so, I mean, my question for, for Florida's offense is how is that new offensive line going to hold up against the Miami front seven? Now Miami, you know, they bring back uh, Jonathan Garvin and Pat Bethel, um, up front on one side, but then you've got the other side, you still certainly a lot of potential, um, was, was set to play well at Virginia Tech, got into some issues. Sounds like he's kind of cleaned up his act, and I think Manny Diaz strikes me as a guy who's all about giving guys second chances for the right reasons. Uh, but who's going to fill in in that inside tackle spot? Is it going to be Jonathan Ford? Is it going to be Nesta Jade Silvera? I mean, is it going to be a combination of those two guys? So how well that offensive line can hold up against Miami's front seven. Now, Florida's offensive line, they, they lose four starters, but every guy that they have slated to start tomorrow – is experienced within the program, except for uh, Chris Blake, who's a redshirt freshman at right guard, but everybody else is basically a redshirt junior or a redshirt senior or a true junior, true senior. So you're looking at guys who have been in the program three or four years, Uh, but even Blake, a redshirt freshman, played in four games last year and was able to redshirt using that new rule, and he was a top 60 offensive line recruit. Now, you can bet that Miami defensive coordinator Blake Baker is going to be Um, aggressive against this group early on to try and test them. So it's going to be up to Franks to read their defense early and kind of get those pre-snap reads and also his contingencies, his checkdowns known before the ball is snapped. So it's not going to be so much that they're going to want to go fast paced so quickly. I think that Franks and uh, that offense are going to need to use the clock, survey the field and get a feel for what that defense, what looks they're giving them. So that way they can make the right plays as opposed to the fast plays. Um, he's going to need to know sure. his progressions. He's going to have to be smart. If, if the, uh, if the Canes defense is going to get to him early, he's, you know, settle himself, not get too ahead of his game. Really Frank's the the, the biggest battle he's going to have tomorrow is to stay within himself and not get too, uh, flustered, not try and beat the Miami defense all on his own. It's okay, Felipe, if it takes you four quarters to get it figured out because I think that your defense is going to do a good job keeping you in the ball game. So you don't have to right. win the game in the first quarter. You know, It's kind of like that baseball analogy. Um, you don't have to you know, hit the home run every time you go up to the plate. If you can dink and dunk and if you can get things done the way that Dan Mullins' offenses typically do – um, you're going to do well. So my confidence is more in Dan Mullen and his offensive staff, Billy Gonzalez and John Hevesy, the co-offensive coordinators to make those proper adjustments over a younger and quote, trying to impress Manny Diaz and Blake Baker. Cause I think that those two Diaz and Baker kind of have more to prove going into this game. We talked about the receivers that Florida has. Another question I have is, can they get their tight ends involved? So Lucas Krull and, um, um, blanking on the other guy's name. Um oh, Kyle Pitts. Both those guys are 6'6", 245 or or more. So that's some pretty big size. They can maybe distract some of those linebackers at least one of them and open up that run game a little bit more. Where the Gators averaged over 200 yards rushing a year ago. They were the 27th ranked rush offense in the country a year ago with guys like LaMichael P. ryan and Malik Davis coming back. I think that they are ready to go right at that Miami defense and I know you talk about those linebackers and they're the best in the country. Um, but I think that that's going to be a point where if Franks can open them up a little bit, then you go right at them with P Ryan and Davis.
1: So um, then turning over to the, uh, the other, the opposite sides, um, the, the Miami offense is going to be pretty similar in regards to the quarterback position. um, But probably with more, more question marks, obviously Jaron Williams wins the starting job. But uh, let's not forget that he wasn't uh, too far ranked behind Tate Martell. Now, obviously, they were in different recruiting classes. But um, in regards to overall stature, Jaron Williams had a lot of talent coming out of high school as well. Um, now, I the biggest question that I have with Williams is, obviously, we've never seen him play before. So what does he bring to the table um, in his college career? But more so than that, how does he keep his head? Uh, how does he keep his, his wits with him? Because you know that. Um, Not only is he potentially going to have that thought in the back of his head, but all of the Canes fans are going to be thinking if he goes out and has a, a couple three and outs within the first three or four drives, do they start chanting for Martel? Does he start to look over his shoulder and start to press more? So I think him not letting the game get too big for him is going to be Mm. huge for the Hurricanes because he's got some talented pass catchers to throw to KJ Osborne, Jeff Thomas, Brevin Jordan, and he's got a pretty decent running game to work with as well. So I think if he can manage the game against that Gator defense, which has a potentially very, very good pass rush, I really like Jabari Zuniga. I like Jonathan Greenard who comes in from Louisville having transferred in last year. I think that those two guys can really get to the quarterback. And that's my number one thing for the Gator defense is how much pressure can they get on the young quarterback and Jaron Williams? And can they force a slow start? Because if the Miami offense starts off slow, you start to wonder, is it going to be similar to last year to where they just couldn't get out of their own way? Um, And you start to rattle that quarterback. That'll go a long way for this Gator defense. Um, And then um, CJ Henderson, in that secondary returning with also Trey Dean, Donovan Steiner, um, some guys that can really attack the ball once it's in the air. Um, And and I think that they're going to need to rely on that because they lose a couple of good linebackers from last year. Um, So for the hurricanes, um, I, I think if they can, if they can slow that Gator defense down and string together a few drives within the first and second quarter and, and, Get Jaron Williams' feet underneath him. I think that'll be the biggest key for Miami, especially if they can get that running game going. Um, Now, Lorenzo Lingard is going to be out, but they have a couple capable backs. Uh, Cameron Cameron um, Harris. uh, Cameron Harris, thank you. DJ Dallas. Um, I I think that Miami, with that better offensive line than what Florida has going, I think if we're going to see a good running game in this uh, in this matchup. It's definitely going to be in favor of the hurricanes more I mean, so than it's, the Gators. It's
0: I, I am actually going to disagree with that I, I see Florida's offensive line coming out of tomorrow's game, looking better than Miami's Miami was kind of up and down last year. And, and where we really saw them struggle was toward the end of the season with their offensive line. Now, um, Navon Donaldson and, um, Scafee, they're two guys, really the only two guys returning. And, we know that both teams can recruit, but, um, with Lingard out of the game, I think that's going to put more pressure on Harris and Dallas. And I don't really see DJ Dallas as, um, as a true running back. He's more of that scat back, more of a guy that's going to, you know, hit you with quickness more on that RPO type, uh, you know, back out of the backfield, you know, whether it's on runs or whether it's swing routes or whatever. But, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I I agree though, Jaron Williams, you know, being the starter from Miami, there was a lot of, hype around him and it kind of got lost in the shuffle. I don't, I don't really understand all the love affair for Nicoza Perry last year, except for the fact that he was looking better than Malik Rozier, but a lot of guys in Miami were looking better than Rozier last year. Um, but, but Williams had a lot right. of uh, a lot of positive talk out of the spring, even when Martel got there. Now Martel has been rumored to be taking some snaps at wide receiver and the guys at ESPN made a good point. You know, is that going to be smoke and mirrors uh, because you have to figure that unless Jaron Williams starts off his career with a bang, we might see Tate Martell for a series or two, just to kind of change the pace things a little bit. Um, I mean, it looks like long-term Williams would be the guy, but I would not be surprised at all to see two quarterbacks for, for the Canes tomorrow. So I see the Gators having a sizable advantage here uh, on defense. So um, their secondary, which is 17th against the pass last year, I think should stifle and shut down the Canes attack for most of this game. You mentioned the top three targets that Miami has in Thomas and Osborne and Jordan. Brian Hightower is another name, but again um, this is going to be a, a loud environment in a, in a big time defense that Williams is going against. I think that this game would have been better maybe for week three or week four for Jaron Williams after going against Bethune, right? Yep. and you know, maybe a, a Mac Salt school, but not to come right out of the gate against, um, you know the the Gator defense and uh, their D coordinator, uh, excuse me, Todd Grantham. So you know Grantham was lured by the NFL, and he said, "No, I'm going to stay here." And I think that goes a long ways to reverberating to your players. And I think we're going to see a lot of chop on that Gator D line. You know, you talked about Greenard and Zuniga coming off the edge. I like Kyrie Campbell eating up the middle as well. So unless Cameron Harris runs for over 100 yards, I'm seeing the offensive unit for Miami struggle in this one and, and seeing the Gators kind of control things. So then you go in the secondary and the Gators have a, you know, pretty darn good secondary. One of the better set of safeties or group of safeties in the sec. They're good with Henderson and uh, Rico Wilson, who also comes back from injury. He was out for most of last year. So I think that's going to be an interesting thing to watch is how, how Wilson does, because you know that Williams is going to be told, go away from C.J. Henderson, go to the other side of the field. So that puts him against Wilson and, uh, you know, most likely going to be matched up against, uh, you know, one of those quick Miami receivers. So how, how well is he going to play coming off that injury? Um, so, you know, kind of tipping my hand here a little bit on, on what I see overall. Biff, give us your uh, – any more thoughts that you have on those two units or go ahead and give us with your pick for tomorrow. Now, the line is seven and a half for – you know, giving up seven and a half points. Do you see him covering? What do you see the score? What do you see going on here?
1: I, I'm i with you. I, uh, with your tipped hand there, I, I think Florida wins this one rather comfortably. Um, now I don't think either team goes out and scores a ton of points just because the defenses are so good. But I think that this is one of those games to where Florida scores, maybe a couple, um, a late third uh, quarter touchdown, and then a fourth quarter touchdown, and holds Miami to nothing yeah. um in that fourth quarter. I like the Gators winning in 27-13 in this one and keep an eye out. I think one of uh or one of my uh uh players to to watch is definitely going to be Kadarius Tony. Similar to Jeff Thomas, great athlete who can break one at any time he touches the ball. I think they're going to try to uh, get him out there with some jet sweeps, get the ball uh, in his hands in open field uh, within space and uh, see what he can do with it. I think he he has a good chance of breaking one, uh, especially if he's matched up with one of those uh, newer Miami defensive backs uh, like the Gators by. Uh 14 in this one, Chappie. Is or, there sorry, anybody that you uh, see from
0: Miami, somebody to watch out for that maybe does not stand out as, as a star from last year? Somebody new or somebody that maybe um people are could be overlooking in this game, somebody that you could see, you know, uh, you know, having an impact that you haven't mentioned already?
1: Yeah, I kind of touched upon it already, uh, and wrote it down. Trayvon Hill, I, I I'm curious to see you his role in yeah. the hurricane defense this year. Um, I don't think that he's going to be one of their starters necessarily, but I think as a rotational defensive end on rush rushdowns, I really like his ability to get to the quarterback. So I think that if they bring him in uh, in a couple of blitz packages uh, in this game, I like his opportunity to get to, Franks with that uh, newer offensive line that the Gators are are, going to roll uh, out.
0: 16 starts at Virginia Tech. He racked up 11 and a half sacks in three years. So you're talking a guy who had about four sacks per year on average. And we know that that was really more like, you know, maybe two his freshman year and then five and five. So um, yeah, I'm interested to see Mm -hmm. that as well. I have, I have DJ Ivy on the defense. So you already talked about Jaron Williams at quarterback, Cameron Harris at running back. I think those are going to be two pivotal guys in offense, but on the defensive side, Opposite Trajan Bandy, it's going to be either Al Blades or DJ Ivy, and I think both of them are going to get a chance to play, but Ivy's a little bit bigger. He goes 6'1", 195 pounds, and I I remember hearing more talk about him from Miami Circles than I do Al Blades. Blades, of course, has the name, the legacy. I believe he's the son of either Benny or Brian Blades, um, but... uh, You know, Ivy's got more upside, from what I hear, and can play the corner better than Blades does. Blades is really more of a safety type. So I'm going to watch number eight for Miami, DJ Ivy, and see how well he steps up against that uh, group of Gator receivers. So uh, for Florida, my guy to watch, you already mentioned him, is Jonathan Greenard. So you said transfer from Louisville. He had nine and a half sacks and 70 tackles and just nine starts for the Cardinals. Comes over, he's going to line up opposite all SEC DN Jabari Zuniga. Um, and he's going to go against a cre- questionable tackle from Miami who will likely lack the needed confidence that he needs this early. So you have to figure that um, Delone Scafie is, you know, he's one of their best offensive linemen, maybe their best offensive lineman at the left tackle spot. And he'll be protecting the blind side of Williams against uh, Zuniga. But then you've got Greenard on the opposite side going against um, Kaleon Herbert, who's a sophomore, uh, you know, big guy, 6'5", 302, but Greenard is, is quick and, and has some, some good pass rush moves, so I'm going to be interested to see that new Gator on that defensive line. I think he's going to come up pretty big. Um, for my pick, I'm going to go with Florida as well. They're going to cover the 7.5. I see him winning by 11 points, actually, um, so double digits and you know, not as big of a spread as you, but I, in a similar fashion, maybe going away. I think this game will be pretty close through maybe 2.5 quarters, but then Florida gets a score late. Miami just can't um, you know punch it in to, to make it closer. I really think Felipe Franks is going to have himself a game and prove that the Miami secondary still has some work to do. And that's honestly, um, I think, going to be the advantage that the Gators have, believe it or not, is going to be their pass game. Now, I know Miami was the number one pass defense last year, but they lost three starters from last year's team. They're going to be young and they're going to have some new guys in the system. We talked about some of their transfers like Bubba Bolden and they've got young talent. But I don't know how well-versed they are in this system, especially now that they got a new defensive coordinator, Blake Baker, who's adapting to Manny Diaz's system. And anytime you get a new head coach, there's, there's a lot of intangibles that go into it, more than just schematics and whatnot. So um, I think as long as Franks has time to make quick throws and properly run that spread offense of Dan Mullen, this could be a game of lumps for the DBs of the U. So, yep, I have uh, Florida in this one, 28-17. So let's switch over to the uh, the west 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 coast, actually off the mainland and out into the islands of Hawaii. So the Arizona right. Wildcats favored by eleven points, and I'm a little bit blown away by this spread. And and we can talk about that when we get into our picks. But they are an eleven point favorite at Hawaii. This game kicks off at ten thirty Eastern time, uh, so you know five thirty local time in Hawaii. So um, let's take a look, Bip, at some of the offense of Arizona against the defense of Hawaii. Give us your rundown of the Wildcats offense and the warrior defense.
1: Well, uh, starting with uh, Arizona, it's all going to be a question of which Khalil Tate do we get this year? Do we get more of the 2017 or the, more of the 2018? And if he shows more 2017 than 2018 in this game, then the Wildcats could be due for a few more wins than what people expect going into this game. Um, Now, this is a defense that he could easily showcase his skills, both passing and running in as the uh, Warrior defense was 109th in scoring D and 100 in total D last year. Um, They gave up more yards rushing the ball than they did passing the ball, but they certainly weren't uh, a great pasty either. Um, So at which is unfortunate for the Wildcats going into this one because they lose um, their top four receivers uh, going into this season. So Tate is maybe going to be forced to run the ball more than he wants to this year, um, regardless of of what the the game plan dictates because he doesn't really have anyone to throw to. Um, I think in this one, because Hawaii has – a, a better pass D than a run D and they return all of their secondary, um, or I'm sorry, four out of their five, uh, starting secondary. I think that we could see, um, Arizona run the ball a decent amount to try and slow down that Hawaii offense, keep them off of the field as Hawaii can score points and droves and especially playing Hawaii. in Hawaii. Um, now it's, it's not, <laughs> it's, it's, it helps for Arizona that it's the first league, first game of the year, and they have two weeks until they play FCS opponent Northern Arizona. So it's not a typical trip to Hawaii, but it's still, I, I imagine, right. not an easy trip for the Wildcats to make. Um, so I think I think that if Arizona can, can run the ball effectively and kind of control that clock more and definitely have Khalil Tate be more of a dynamic playmaker that's going to be their biggest opportunity in this one. But this Hawaii defense returns um, nine starters from last year um, and they lose one in the secondary and one in their front six. So I'm curious to see how Hawaii plays uh, defensively this year. As like I mentioned, they weren't all that great last year, but when you have so much returning talent and a lot of upperclassmen too, in their two deep, um, this is a Hawaii defense that I'm wondering if they Come out and surprise a lot of folks by shutting down this Arizona offense that is missing considerable considerable amount of their uh, skill position players outside of running back and quarterback. So, um, I, I I think if if Khalil Tate can uh, teamed up with JJ Taylor, if they can control the clock um, against this Hawaii team, I think that gives them the best opportunity to win this one. Yeah, um, I uh, offensively, you know a lot Jeffy. of
0: people novice college football fans kind of forget that J.J. Taylor was the third leading rusher in the Pac-12 last year. So, um, I mean, he ran for over 1,400 yards. And then, so Arizona was the 32nd ranked rush offense last year. And a lot of people might think, well, it's because they have Khalil Tate. Well, no, Khalil Tate really did very little last year relative to what he did in 2017, like you talked about. It's funny. It's almost like you were looking off my notes here, man. I, I put here that you know, Arizona by nature wants to throw the ball. That's just what Kevin Sumlin likes to do. That's what Noel Mazzoni likes to do. But if they take to the run a little bit more in this first one, it can pay off. They have, you know, when you when you run the ball more, there's less chance of turnovers, which were a problem for Arizona last year. You can play ball control, and it keeps the Hawaii offense off the field, which you touched on. And they return a good offensive line. And like you, like you mentioned, all-Pac-12 running back J.J. Taylor, who ran for 1,400 yards, and then if you throw in the dynamic Khalil Tate, if he's on his game, uh, you know, and both facets on the ground and through the air, going against a 4-2-5 defense for the Warriors that was 103rd and trying to stop the ground attack last year, I think that's actually going to play into Arizona's favor. So I agree with you. I think that they would be smart to go to the ground more frequently than through through the air tomorrow. Um, not to mention, they're pretty green at wide receiver, right. as you mentioned. So uh, they've got some good young talent coming up, but... You can expect drops. You can expect maybe some mistiming between quarterback and receiver, especially when the adrenaline's flowing. You know, Khalil Tate's probably going to sail a couple of throws. The receivers might, um, you know, get a little bit of case of alligator arms, you know, in their first contact against someone in the opposite jersey. So, um, Hawaii defense was pretty bad last year. Six games, they gave up 40 points or more. But they do return nine guys, so you can assume that the numbers will be up. They do need to create more turnovers, though, and I think if they can get to that, you know, you always talk about um, how turnovers typically start to bend the other way, especially if you're on the the low end like Hawaii was last year. It can start to go back towards uh, where it needs to be, and I think that I agree with you. I think this Hawaii defense could be better at season's end than people are going to give them credit for early on. So I think we see more of Tate and Young than we will any of the wide receivers. um, I'm sorry, Tate and Taylor. Uh, than any receivers emerge and take over the game. So I think we are going to see a a pretty steady dose of that Arizona run game going up against Hawaii's defense. So flipping it around now, let's look at Hawaii's spread out wide open run and shoot offense against Arizona's defense.
1: Well, uh, Hawaii finished last year with the number nine passing offense and combine that with uh, Arizona's offense and the fact that both had poor defenses last year. I think we're going to see some fireworks in this one, and um, it all starts with their quarterback, Cole McDonald. He really came on um, and surprised a lot last year Threw for over, I think, 3,700 yards, uh, 3,800 yards, actually 36 touchdowns. Um, he does lose his top receiver, um, Ursua, but he does have a couple good ones returning. Um, Jojo Ward, Cedric Bird. uh, both of those guys held their own last year. They were just outshined by their teammate. Um, I think that they're going to have big years in having all of those targets come to them this year. And. Hawaii is going to be throwing the ball early and often, not only because that's in their DNA, but because the Arizona defense ranked 121st in past defense last year. They do return a couple in the secondary, Lorenzo Burns, Scotty Young, and they have maybe the best group of linebackers in the Pac-12 uh, with Tony Fields, Colin Schooler, and Kylan Wilborn. But I think Uh, what Hawaii's game plan is probably going to be is to continue to throw the ball all over the field to neutralize the effectiveness of those linebackers because the defensive line only returns one starter from Arizona. So I wonder how much pressure they're going to be able to get on Cole McDonald, especially if he's able to get rid of the ball quickly. I think that they throw the ball all over the field and um, avoid running the ball because of said linebackers that Arizona has. And I think that they're going to have a, a decent amount of success in this one. Um, are the uh, Hawaii Warriors yeah, in and throwing seeing, the ball again, over I, Arizona? I'm
0: going to go to the run game a little bit. So last year, Nick Rolovich, after having a poor 2017, went back to more of the run and shoot. And I think it worked for him a little bit. So Fred Holly and 250 pound Dayton for Feruta. Um, can provide a little bit of pop and punish for the Warriors. Each of them averaged four and five yards per carry, respectively. So I think if these two guys can run for over 150 yards combined, I really like Hawaii's chances even more um, if they can do that. We know that they're going to be able to throw the ball. I love watching Cole McDonald. Um, I don't know if he still has the dreads like he had last year, but that was a cool look. Um, Hawaii has one of the better uniform schemes in college football, so that's fun to watch, too. Uh, but you mentioned Bird and Ward. They combined for 130 catches last year, 18 touchdowns. JoJo Ward had a 17-yard-per-catch average on his own. And McDonald looks to build on his hot start that he had last season and one that ended with some pretty good numbers. So he completed 59% of his passes, like you mentioned, nearly 4,000 yards and 36 touchdowns but only 10 interceptions. That's pretty impressive when you're throwing the ball as much as they do in Hawaii. And he racked up eight wins for the, for the Warriors. Right. Uh, but there can be some change up as well as Siobhan Cordero is acclaimed as a talent. That's too good to keep on the sidelines. He's their backup quarterback. And we saw how the coaching staff wanted to get him in the game, in the bowl game last year against, uh, against Louisiana tech. Um, you mentioned Lorenzo Burns, which what a bad name for a defensive back, but um, and Scotty young, they can cover part of the field,
1: but that's only <laughs> two
0: guys that are out there covering against, you know, the four and five receiver sets from Hawaii. So, Rolovich and McDonald like to use all the field. They like to, um, you know, spread out and get to green. So there could be trouble for the Wildcats in defending it, even with some athletic linebackers like Fields and Schooler. I think that those two are going to be better off that line of scrimmage and trying to disrupt uh, McDonald than they try to get out and drop into coverage. Um, for off- for Hawaii, their offensive line returns everybody, and they were pretty good at run blocking. They were, I think, 50-something in the nation in, in uh, you know, In in rush, or I'm sorry, not in rush offense, but in terms of tackles for loss um, avoided. They they really did not allow too many tackles for loss um, at a per game average, but not at pass blocking. They were 125th in sacks allowed. So um, again, that's where Defensive coordinator Marcel Yates, I think, is going to need to get creative in who he turns loose and when they get turned loose so as not to open the middle of the field for McDonald to exploit, but more sort of try and get in his face, disrupt him, and take him out of the timing and the rhythm of that run-and-shoot offense. The two teams that Arizona played last year that closely resembled Hawaii, though, Houston and Washington State, Arizona lost to both of them and gave up a combined 114 points. So I'm a little bit nervous for this Arizona defense going up against an offense like... Uh, Hawaii, and I really like Nick Rolovich as an offensive mind. So, uh, Bip, who are a player or two from each team that we should watch out for uh, from your perspective?
1: Well, we both touched upon JoJo Ward, but he's still going to be my player to watch. Nine touchdowns, 17 yards per catch last year. I think he fills in as Hawaii's top receiver this year. He's their deep threat, and I think he's the biggest playmaker. Um, so, keeping out for him. I think he has a big game against the secondary. And for Arizona, I'm going to go Lorenzo Burns, cornerback. Uh, 11 passes broken up in one pick last year. He was around the ball a lot. And if you can turn some of those passes defended into a pick um, in a timely situation to keep this uh, Hawaii offense off the field, that could be a real tide turner for the Wildcats. Um, as, uh, you know, again, the theme of, of uh, this game for them should be keeping that Hawaii offense off the field as often as possible. So, couple turnovers could be very uh big for them obviously that's an obvious statement but um and and i think lorenzo burns could be one of those guys who could challenge to do so (laughs) (laughs) i was saying boo Burns.
0: so um yeah i i'm gonna go for for arizona i'm gonna go with actually two guys (laughs) at receiver jalen booby curry and drew dixon so these two guys are gonna get um, the start at wide receiver, at least at two of the receiver spots. And we talked about how that position is wide open. Now, Curry was their top recruit this year. He was in for the spring, turned some heads with his play and his size. He goes 6'2, 206. So, a pretty big target for Khalil Tate. Dixon also has pretty good size, going 6'3, 210. Anywhere is the number one, so you know that there's got to be some good to follow that number and a little bit of swag too. You can't just throw on the number one and expect that, um, you know, expect to be humble and and not have people try and challenge you. So those two guys for Arizona for me, um, on the defensive side, look out for Mackenzie Burns. So Jace Whitaker is slated to start at uh, the corner spot opposite Burns, but if he has some troubles, Barnes offers a bigger option at six one and did some good things in the spring, especially at getting to the ball and creating turnovers. The coaches. Uh, really praised him highly for what he did. So watch out for him on that defensive side. For Hawaii, uh, you mentioned Ward and Bird, and so th- since those two guys are going to be the focal point, I'm going to say Melchise Stovall Cal. Um, He goes, I think, five 5'10", 190 pounds, but he could be another good slot receiver to make good yeah. use of the green for the Warriors, especially if a lot of their attention is going to be on Bird and Ward. Uh, look for Stovall to be a guy who can rack up the, the yardage coming from McDonald. And then defensively, I like Mason Vega. He's a 6'3", 265 Juco transfer who's going to get the start at defensive end. Now, he could look like a hero or a fool against that read option offense when he's got to decide, you know, do I crash down on J.J. Taylor or do I go and take Khalil Tate or do I do the smart thing and just blow up the mesh point altogether and and try and disrupt it at all? But that's going to be Mason Vega's job on defense for Hawaii. Uh, So it'll be interesting to see how he comes out in his first game as a warrior. Uh, give us your pick Bip. What do you see happening in this game? Again, the spread is, uh, Arizona giving 11 to Hawaii. Do you think that they cover or who wins straight up?
1: I'm with you. I think that this, this, uh, and maybe this is Vegas. that so It's just baiting everyone, but I think that this spread looks ridiculous. I have Hawaii covering. I have them winning outright and I have the score. Like I said before, there's going to be some fireworks in this one okay, Forty-four, 37. Warriors over and the Wildcats. Straight up,
0: but I, I actually see it lower scoring than people might think due to the fact that I think both teams are going to try and use the ground a little bit more. I think that we're going to see a little bit of mistakes, you know, or some mistakes through the air, you know, maybe a couple picks on each side. Um, you know, again, I'm not sure why the odds makers see this spread mm-hmm. so wide given the lack of receivers and the uncertainty of Khalil Tate under Sumlin and Mazzoni last year. Uh, I could see Hawaii possibly putting up a a big number of points going into this. But, uh, you know, again, it's I think that, you know, first game we could see a little bit of a stall. So I'm going to go Hawaii 28-24, which I know, again, is is lower than some people might be expecting with a uh, a Pac-12 and a Mountain West team going out in the uh, in the uh, Hawaiian Islands. But, uh, yeah, I see Hawaii 28-24 covering the spread and winning straight up, So –
1: And I'm hoping that Hawaii starts off their season similar to last yeah. year, where they scored 43, 59, 43 for the first three games. But I see your point. If if this does turn into a, a more of yeah. a ground and pound game so, than people expect, uh, so and I can see, I can see them that for, for sure. What you
0: will, but that's how we see it, and we like visionary in a lot of what we do. Um, Bippin the season, giving you our weekly picks of the week, as well as post weekend follow up on what we saw and what we can expect. So if you want to be more informed than the other guys, continue to follow us here on a bowl full of chips. And if you haven't already subscribed to us, please do so. Hit the right buttons, get your chips so much easier, so much faster. If you haven't heard our SEC, ACC, or most recently our Pac-12 podcast, our season previews, give them a listen so you can uh, follow up a little bit more on the Gators, the Hurricanes, and even the Arizona Cart or I'm sorry, the Arizona Wildcats. Give them a listen tomorrow before the games kick off at 7 p.m. Eastern again with Florida and Miami and then 10 30 Eastern time with the uh, the Warriors and the Wildcats Arizona taking on Hawaii and again follow us on Twitter I'm at champion underscore lit and he is at BFC bit. so have fun happy football tomorrow and celebrate the season is here boys and girls Woo! he is bit. I am Chaffee college football is here and we are oh so happy good night everybody
1: Good night.